0: 42nd chapter of Job, verse 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask thee, and do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore I retract, and I repent, in dust and ashes. I was thinking a little bit about uh, the book of Job coming up this morning. Several things go on in the book of Job, of course, and I'm not here to uh, try to explain that to anybody or expound upon it. In fact, Winston asked me to keep it very brief because we have qualified speakers here today. But there are a lot of things that uh, fascinate me about the book of Job, and, and one of them is that I want to just draw your attention to real quickly this morning, again to try to bring our focus in on what we might hear today, is the, the thought that runs through the book of Job, and is particularly noted in the conversation that Job has with his three friends, that illustrates the fact that there are basically three sources of knowledge. Now, again, that's not, that's not anything newsworthy, but it's illustrated in the book of Job, and this conversation, that, this uh, comments that Job, make, Job makes at the end are, are indicative of what transpires throughout the book. But in those comments, if you will follow through, uh, if you're familiar with the book of Job, if not, you might just want to read the whole thing for yourself at some point in time, is Job is wrestling with these with this idea that there are three sources of knowledge. There is knowledge by reason, there is knowledge by experience, and there is knowledge by revelation. And as he goes over and over in his mind, and you're probably familiar with the situation that he finds himself in, where God has allowed Satan to inflict Job with a great deal of hardship, even even after God has declared him to be an upright and blameless man. And as Job recounts this, over and over again to his friends, basically what he's reviewing in his mind, I think at least one of the things he's reviewing in his mind, is that he's had a relationship with God throughout the course of the time that he was very comfortable with. That he had a relationship that it was based on, certainly upon experience, that he had uh, dealt with God in the way that he thought God had asked him to, and in return God had dealt with him uh, in a very bountiful way, in a very blessed way. At the same time, he could look across the total realm of, of what he knew about God and knew about life, and he could reason that certain things worked certain ways. And yet, all of a sudden, he found himself in a position where those two sources of knowledge did not seem to work. And he's going over this as he, as he talks to his three friends, and his three friends, of course, are coming back, basically from the same position. In the position of reason and experience and of course as you may know as it goes on chapter after chapter and finally god intervenes and he begins to speak to job and begins to remind job of certain things more importantly he begins to reveal himself and his nature to job and these ending verses are job's comments to coming to the point where he understood that the highest form of knowledge, that the highest source of knowledge was the revealed knowledge of God, what he received through the revelation that God had given him, that that had to take precedence over his experience and his reason, not that he had to throw those away or not use them, but he finally had to come to an understanding that God's revelation was the highest form of knowledge, and so as he he talks about this, note in, if you will in particular the verses, the last two verses. I have heard thee of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. He knew God; he knew a lot about God, but now he knows God as it says in jeremiah 9 23 that's the one thing you can hang your hat on if you want to boast about something he says boast about this if you know and understand me and this is Job's comment and look at his attitude he says therefore i retract therefore i retract and i repent in dust and ashes this thought is carried over in ephesians you want to flip over just quickly in ephesians chapter one I'd like to read about four verses which can be the basis of a prayer this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. Starting at verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, and his inheritance in the saints. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, as your children, we have always acknowledged that we're dependent upon you. We seek that you would come into our presence now, that you would open our eyes that we might truly see, and that you would open our ears that we might truly hear begin to soften our hearts and make us receptive let the cares and concerns that we might have brought with us this morning begin to fade as we want so anxiously to understand the message that you've laid on the hearts of the men that you brought to speak to us this morning ask that you would bless this time together this fellowship the brotherhood that we have as members of your family especially be with those who have come today to share their hearts. Grant them the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit that above all else we might see and recognize what a precious gift is the Lord Jesus Christ who you've given to us to receive in grace and mercy and love we thank you in all things and ask that whatever good might come today that all praise and glory be unto you for his name's sake amen good morning
1: good morning
2: good
3: to see some of you fellas that have driven quite a ways uh, let me see the hands of guys from Fort Collins. Yeah, yeah. we got outnumbered the fellows from the spring. Good to have you this morning. You guys from Lamar drive up this morning?
2: Good.
3: We're glad to have you here this morning. We, uh, many ugly guys are here. It's a pleasure to have you. So, nice, to, nice to have you. Um, why don't you open your Bibles? I'd like to just share one verse with you to kind of one of my favorite verses to uh, kind of set the spirit, if you would. Galatians chapter six. The spirit, I I think I can probably speak for the speakers in terms of the spirit that they come in and uh, and the spirit that we would uh, we would all seek to have as we uh, come together to. Uh, Seek the face of God. Someone uh, pick up in chapter six verse fourteen and just read it if you would, please. Galatians six fourteen. May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would, uh, I would hope that that would, uh, that would be the spirit of, of all of us. That uh, as we, some of the speakers will certainly share certain uh, experiences they've had, I'm sure, and uh, will uh, in introductions and so on tell certain things they've done and so on. And uh, it's all. Uh, with that uh, with that spirit in mind that uh, no one has anything to boast except uh, in the Lord Jesus and the grace he's extended to us. So with that in mind, uh, you might just look at your schedule just a minute. Let me just kind of review that, and I, I've got one explanation that needs to be made, and uh, then I'd like to have just a little prayer, and then we'll bring... Uh, We'll bring our first speaker on, and uh, uh, the uh, the schedule is fairly self-explanatory. The uh, we do. If any of you have not registered after the first talk, would you be sure and register? Because we do have to turn a number in for uh, for our lunch count. So uh, we need that if, if you'd cooperate there. Um, as you noticed, uh, Walt Hendrickson is not on the on the schedule this morning, and uh, he was. He was scheduled to be here, and uh, a good friend of his has uh, agreed to uh, uh, help out this morning. Walt is in Alaska today. He, uh, last Friday, uh, a good buddy of his, and, and some of you fellows, uh, may have known him, a guy named George Morris, he was in the insurance business out of Amarillo, was killed in a car wreck in uh, in Alaska. He and his wife were up there. And, uh, so walt and walt goes back to 1966 with george and he's a he's a good brother and uh, had he and george would just go back a long way so walt and Liette flew to uh, alaska and his widow is uh, still in intensive care and um, their children are in uh, in amarillo today having a uh, a funeral for their dad and so the children requested that walt and uh, Liette. Uh, Stay with their mother until she got out of intensive care. So uh, Walt uh, talked to him, and he uh, he sends his regards and uh, regrets that he couldn't be here with you. And uh, so uh, that's uh, that's the story on that. And um, uh, the good news of that is that uh, George was a he was a he was a go getter and, and loved God, and uh, so uh, he's not sweating cash flow today. <laughs> <laughs> So he uh, he he was always kind of a guy for one-upmanship, anyway. So uh, he he had the last word on it. So. Yeah. Why don't we just uh, have a little little time kind of prayer here, and I'll just I'll just kind of lead off. I'll I'll kind of give us a little time for just some silent prayer for you. And uh, I would uh, all of us bring them uh, bring some baggage in here today. Um, I see several guys here in the real estate business. I know what you brought in here today. So, um, so I, whether it is a, a cash flow a, a crisis or appears as a crisis or whether it's some relationships you're struggling with or just um, um, whatever the issues are, let's just pray that God will give us the grace to lay it down So that we can give him our undivided attention today uh, for whatever he has for each of us and he is so gracious that he will meet us at our point of need and uh, as you well know it's only by that mysterious thing he does by his grace that allows us the faith even to release something and let him uh, take control of it and uh, so i would uh, I would encourage each of you just in your own. Uh, we'll just take a minute or two in silent prayer, and then uh, I'll just uh, finish it up, and then we'll uh, we'll introduce our uh, first speakers. So why don't we just have a minute or two of just silent prayer, and you deal with the Lord in your own way. When Walt found out a, a day or so ago that he uh, wasn't going to be able to be here, why he uh, called a good friend of his, Lawrence Fanny to see if Lauren, first of all, is going to be in town because Lauren does a lot of traveling and see if he would be gracious enough on that short of notice to come and and help us. And so he was, uh, Um, we're very fortunate to have Lauren today. Lauren uh, has been with the Navigators for, listen to this, 46 years. To my understanding, Navigators have three presidents. They're... uh, the originators of Dawes Trotman and then whom I guess Lauren worked for for several years and then when Dodge passed away why Lauren took over and then I don't know just several months ago Lauren stepped down as president I think he's still chairman of the board and uh, some of you know Dr. Jerry White who has taken over as president as navigators so Lauren has given his life to the very thing that we're going to be talking about today and that is giving your life to men. Encouraging men and women to uh, come into a living relationship with christ and then to uh, <coughs> to grow in that relationship and learn how to share it with others and uh, i think in our generation the navigators probably as a group of people made as large or larger contribution than anyone i know into the area of uh, helping men and women like ourselves um just with tools in uh, helping each other grow and then sharing our faith uh, with others and so it's with a great deal of uh, pleasure that i introduced lauren sang to come share with us lauren
1: let's give him a big hand I know you were, were saddened by the news of the death of George Morris and the critical condition of his wife, Biddy. Now, life is hazardous. And one of the first thoughts that came to my mind was uh, that I've known for years, as you have, that George has been a top producer in his company, very successful, and in many ways but you probably, as I have, have had opportunity to sit alongside a body of a friend who's gone on before. And the thing that makes the greatest difference at that moment is not where you've been, the travels you've made, even the successes you've had, but whether or not your name is written in heaven. And to know at that moment that your friend is not only absent from the body, but is present with the Lord that's what really counts and then you think to what what prepares you for the shocks of life well I don't know of anything that completely insulates or prepares you for the shocks of life but it's times like that when you can tell what people have on the inside some are clever but not wise sophisticated but shallow and you probably have in your relatives and your acquaintances people who fall apart at times like that because there's nothing inside and I thought of Psalm 112 it says, he will not be afraid of evil tidings his heart is fixed trusting the Lord and who is it they will not be afraid of evil tidings well it says Are we okay here?
2: We're out of sound.
1: We're out of sound. Well, I wouldn't record this talk if I were you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, you, Well, if you do record it, you can always reuse the uh, (laughs) tape. I guess I'm free to proceed here. But who is it? They will not be afraid of evil tidings. It says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. That's the person. And it calls them the upright, the, the righteous, the righteous. That's the kind of a person that can face life's calamities with an inner strength. well, I didn't know George that well, but I called a friend of mine, Gene War. I said, I understand you led George to the Lord. He said, yes, in 1963, it was my privilege to point him to Christ. And that's what makes the difference today, doesn't it? So our prayers are with the family and this difficult situation. Now, I know you are disappointed in not hearing Walt Hendrickson this morning. And I don't blame you. Walt is one of the finest communicators, as you know, that there is. And when Walt has spoken on a subject, he said all there is to say on that subject, and it's airtight. (laughs) He and Leette are probably among the finest Christians I've ever known. Not only was Walt on the Navigator staff, he worked with me personally as a assistant or deputy for four years so I had a very and do have a very close relationship with him so I know you were looking forward to hearing him but I still think that God can speak to us through another channel this morning as long as we use his word you know I I don't get an opportunity like this very often I'd like to just uh, another introductory word I heard that, "Where's Lee Yi? Are you sitting around here, Lee? I was stuck. There you are. Uh, here Yesterday I learned the VCW, the vocational Christian worker. We were talking about that. I think that we vocational Christian workers have sort of an identity crisis these days. First is that uh, while well, we don't understand the businessman's world, well I, I'd like to clarify the record just a little bit. Now, I'm in a nonprofit business, and of course, some of you are too these days, so we're the same there. <laughs> but sometimes they say to me, well, you don't understand what it is to go to work in the morning and have all these things face you in a long day. I said, look, I've been responsible for 30 years for a staff that's now 2700, 26 nationalities in 62 countries and a budget of $55 million. I probably have to do as much administration and management as you do. And it's just as tough for me to get up in the morning to have a quiet time, just as tough for me to get out somewhere and have a ministry this for anybody else. I don't sit around reading and studying the Bible all day and having two Bible studies, you know, a, a day either. So, uh, just a little bit for the record, you probably didn't help much, but it gave me a chance to say something. And also, by what's been going on these days, I want you to know I live in one house. It's 2,100 square feet. Um, And uh, that's all I have. I drive a Plymouth Reliant Station wagon with Perkins on the back.
2: And uh,
1: one of them belongs to the Navigators, and I pay 20.5 cents a mile when I use it for personal use. Uh, Just to get that out of the way, too, um, this morning. Well, the theme this morning is a heart for men a heart for men and i'm pleased to speak on that and i'd like to use to start off with matthew chapter 9. matthew chapter 9 and of course this is a heart for people and we're thinking particularly this morning as it applies to men familiar passage chapter 9 of matthew beginning with verse 35 and i'm using the NIV this morning Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them he had a heart for people why? because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. I like to tell a story. Some years ago, I met a young fellow in India who told me that while he was in university, One night he walked down by the waterfront in Bombay contemplating, and sat on a bench there at the waterfront contemplating suicide. In a nearby hotel, a Christian traveler was staying overnight. He too took a walk down by the waterfront, sat on the bench with this student, engaged him in conversation, gave his testimony, prevailed upon him to accept the New Testament on the condition that he'd read it. And that student took it home and before morning he had come to a personal relationship with jesus christ now what jesus is saying here that people like that student are like about a million the harvest is plentiful but people like that christian businessman that traveler are few the problem is not with the harvest the problem is with the workers so what are we here for today and what are we in business for is to increase the number of workers right and we want to be workers so he said pray for workers it occurred to me that, oh a couple years ago as my wife and i pray for our relatives who are clustered around northern california and my wife gets more ideas than i can carry out and uh, one of those is to is all these bridges that she's got to about 50 relatives, and she does the praying and the bridge building, I'm supposed to do the preaching, you know, witnessing to them. Well, we've got a bunch of hillbillies up there in Angel's Camp. You ever heard of Angel's Camp? That's where they have the jumping frog contest. (laughs) That's what it's famous for. Aside from that, you wouldn't know. But we've been praying for my wife, sisters, kids, and their kids. I mean, it's keeping us broke, just in birthday cards, anniversary cards, and all this. Mm -hmm. And yet, it's a mission field. So we, but one day it it occurred to us, not just to pray for them, but to pray for laborers, workers, that God would send somebody to that place to reach those people. And you know that within the space of about a year, God sent three couples, one of whom is, he's a uh, principal of the high school, wife, terrific evangelist, and some of our relatives have come to know the Lord through their witness. Pray for workers. Pray for workers. Workers, that's the need. Laborers, as it says in the New King James. I like the story about the boy who was pestering his parents for a watch. You know how kids can get pretty persistent. And he kept pestering, and, well, I want to watch, watch. Well, finally, parents said, look, we heard you. We're tired of hearing it. Don't say the word watch again. So they muzzled the little fellow, they thought. Sunday they had dinner, had guests over, and as they sometimes did, they quoted a verse of scripture around the table. And when they got to the little guy, he was all ready for them. He said, "What I said, Mark 13:37. What I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I thought, well, he got the last word. <laughs> well, I think what he's saying here: "What I say unto you, I say unto all. Workers, workers, laborers, disciplers, whatever term you want to use. That's the need, and that's what you're here today to talk about." and my job is a heart for that and Sido Wing Hong and Lee Yi will be talking with you about the how of it now what is a worker in the harvest what is a laborer in the harvest well I think it's a disciple plus something because it says here he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful the workers are the laborers of you It's a disciple plus something. I think Don Shula, because I'm a Bronco fan, but Don Shula through the years has proved himself to be a terrific coach, the coach of the Miami Dolphins. And you know, there are some books that I think that the title is worth the price of the book and he put a book out some years called the winning edge. The winning edge. There's a winning edge. And I, I like reading sports books. But I think what we're talking about here that a, a laborer, a worker in the disciple or in the harvest is a disciple with a winning edge. Something a little extra. Something plus that makes them different, makes them useful, makes them fruitful in the harvest. Now i've looked around the new testament because i do have opportunity from time to time to share on this subject and we're like in my work we're, we're, we're like the little guy with the watch we're always talking about laborers workers what are they like how do you describe them so i found several what i think are excellent summary scriptures that in just a few words summarize what this person is like who has that winning edge. And that scripture I'm going to use this morning is over in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. Again, the NIV. You know how it is with all the translations these days. You find the one that says it best to your particular prejudice at the moment and use that one. Well, I like the way this one comes out. To describe for us what it is that Jesus is asking us to pray for and incidentally while you're looking you notice that Jesus said this twice to pray for laborers first he said it to the 12 and as as if you might think well that just said to the VCW vocational Christian workers later on he said the very same thing to the 70s the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers of you pray for laborers. So it's for all of us. All of us. And in both cases, Matthew 9, where I read, and Luke 10, where he sent out, or asked the 70 to pray, in both cases, the people he asked to pray were the very ones he sent out. He used them. Okay, first that's two eight. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Now my assigned topic this morning is a heart for men. Now let me read it again with that topic in mind. We loved you we loved you so much Jesus looked at the multitudes and he had what compassion on them he had a heart for them Paul says we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well because you have become so dear Well, I would like to suggest that the first characteristic of a disciple with a winning edge, a laborer, a worker, a discipler, a disciple-maker, whatever term we use, they're synonymous in my mind, that the first evidence is, or the first requisite, is to love people. We love you so much. It's to love people. Now, for a long time, particularly years ago, I wrestled with this. What does it mean to love? You know, the word love has been almost completely ruined. So syrupy, so empty, or lustful, or whatever, that, that the word itself has just been there's any word been abused as the word love. So I thought, now what would be a scriptural definition of love? And I want to offer one, you may have a different one. But for me, love is a choice. For a long time I've decided that love is a choice because it's an act of the will. Love is a choice that does two things. First, it freely accepts another. And secondly, it seeks their good. Love is a choice that freely accepts another and seeks their good. Now, we all have times in our lives when the Lord teaches us something rather dramatically. Well, I had an incident in my life where I learned what it meant that love freely accepts another. Back in the 1950s, I worked with the Billy Graham team for about seven years. And I went with my friend Charlie Riggs and several others, to London, in advance preparation for a crusade there. And I'd never been in England before, and I didn't know if they would welcome us or drive us into the North Sea or what. But I remember we got off the boat, took the train up to London, got in a hotel, went to my room, put my bags down on the floor, sat on the bed, and I didn't want to unpack. Because i wasn't going to pack them up again for five months so i just sat there so i called my friend charlie reeks down at his room i said charlie what are you doing he says nothing he was sitting on his ba- bed not wanting to unpack his bags i said why don't we go out and get a bite to eat somewhere it was about 10 o'clock at night and uh these kids uh, you know if i felt like that walked down oxford street Finally found a place, a restaurant, what we'd call the second floor, went up there. And it's a pretty good-sized place, probably I mean large as this room, larger probably. And as we walked in the door, there was way over on the other side a half-drunk American who immediately recognized us as Americans. And he called out in front of these other people, Well, hello there! Hi, Where are you all from? I thought, Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no. I've heard about these ugly Americans and when I hear one day, and I meet one. And I was embarrassed. So I thought, if we ignore this fellow, he'll leave us alone. So Charlie and I sat down on this side of the room, I hear Charlie across from me. The guy did not leave us alone. He got up, came over, and sat down by Charlie, talking loud. So I sat there with the menu. I didn't look up. I was just... I almost memorized everything. I was so embarrassed. But Charlie, if you don't talk to the guy, he'll leave us. He'll go away. But Charlie kept talking to me. Then I heard him say, Well, what are you guys doing over here? And Charlie said, Well, we're here with the Billy Graham team, and we're preparing for a coming crusade. And at that moment, I looked up, and this guy, this half-drunk American, looked at me, and he said something I never forget he said you'll never make a missionary (laughs) I said what do you mean by that and he went like this he could tell through his half-drunken stupor that I'd stiff on him I'd pull my righteous robes about me and wanted nothing to do with that guy. I was embarrassed. I did, <clears throat> I did not love him. I did not freely accept him. In fact, I freely rejected him, and he could tell it. And as a result, do you suppose I could have said, let me give you my testimony, huh? I could have, but it had been worse than that at all. But our Charlie could have helped him, but I could not charlie could because he freely accepted him but i didn't we loved you so much love is a choice that freely accepts another and it accepts all kinds of people some friends of ours give my wife and me a free week at a guest ranch up here in colorado and that week i usually go to the book of Ephesians. Because I see, clearly described, the kind of people there are in this world. For instance, I've noticed, and I've been going there for maybe eight years, you're meeting people the first night, or the second or the third. Well, what do you do? So they tell you what you do. You know how many people ask me what I do? About one out of 20. Self-centered, their own interests. That's the kind of people we're supposed to love. Whose lifestyles are embarrassing to us? Well, if we're going to be useful for God, we've got to love people, and the first thing that means is to freely accept them—all kinds of people. Oh, I—I I, I better keep going here. I, I could tell you another one. Uh, no, I better not. <laughs> Uh, I do have I I did scratch something I. I mean I do have my hay bales so I better stick with my hay here. But that's the first thing. If you want to have a winning edge, you got to love people. And that means to freely accept them all kinds of people. And then no we don't stop there. It says he seeks their good remember when the woman taken in adultery was brought before Jesus and they said that she ought to be stoned? And he said, all right, whoever's without sin, you cast the first stone. And you remember what happened? And one by one, they drifted off. And finally, there were two left, Jesus and the woman. He looked up at her and he said, That no man condemned you? And she said, No man, Lord. And what did he say? Neither do I condemn you. He freely accepted her. But he didn't stop there he said go and sin no more he sought her good that's love that's loving people i suppose that jesus told the story for all time that demonstrates what it means to love your neighbor you remember the lawyer he said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told that timeless story about the Good Samaritan, about the man who was on his way to Jericho, fell among thieves, who robbed him, stripped him, beat him, left him by the side of the road half dead. And you remember how it says, Jesus said that a priest came by that way. That was a VCW, lady. Occasional Christian worker came along. Passed by on the other side. nothing responded in here no love there no compassion there then it says a, pre, a levite came along now what do levites do well levites are also vcw's they help the priests he did a little bit better he went over and looked at the man but he too passed by on the other side and went on down to a committee uh To discuss what to do about the robberies taking place on the Jericho Road (laughs) but Jesus said a certain Samaritan as he journeyed now I can't prove this but you know the Holy Spirit does not waste words and it says as he journeyed I think this was a businessman Who had a schedule to keep appointments to make whereas i think that the vcws probably weren't that tight in their schedule as he journeyed he was going somewhere he had he had appointments but as he journeyed he came where he was and when he saw him what does it say he had compassion he had a heart for people And that was the thing that motivated him to stop go over to the man bind up his wounds pouring in oil and wine set him on his beast take him to a motel say to the innkeeper say now look you take care of him when i come back whatever it costs i'll pay jesus said that's what it means to love your brother now if we have a heart for people do we love them enough to be a good Samaritan to take some time out just along the way Acts ten thirty eight says that how Jesus and Nazareth went about doing good someone said Jesus went about doing good it seems like we just go about it. to love people is a make <coughs> the choice that freely accepts them whether they appeal to us or not I the evangelical free church on the west side of town and i was asked to speak last summer and fill the pulpit and because i travel a lot i and i like to know what i spoke on where i have my secretary keeps a record of what i speak on where and i couldn't believe it but that was the 61st time that i spoke in our church. About eight years ago, I left the church one morning and right out in front were two ladies, older ladies, with their car and the tire was flat. I didn't take anything of it, I just took my coat off and helped change the tire. I, wouldn't, I didn't know who was paying any attention, but you know something? I have heard more about that one act of helping those two ladies change a tire, and I've heard about all 61 messages put together. <laughs> yeah. I've heard about it from the Pope. I hear about some. I remember when. They don't come up and say, Remember that great talk Sandy gave? I remember that message of three years ago. They remember the act of a, you might say, a good Samaritan. So, I wonder, is there anybody you ought to be, you ought to stop stiff-arming, and you ought to begin to make a choice to take him in to your hearts? Is there anybody out there you've been working, pushing past, and not, you really ought to stop and give him a hand, you ought to stop and give him a hand. Sympathy says, I'm sorry. Compassion says, "Let me help you." You can say, "I'm sorry," in passing, but we'll be like the man who, as he journeyed, stopped and gave him a hand, and went on his way. And haven't you found it too that God enables you to take care of the things that you you miss doing while you are taking that time out? Yeah, He sure does. A heart for men. Mm-hmm. Well, a laborer, a worker, that person with a winning edge, that person, that Christian with a plus factor, first of all, loves people. There's a heart for people. All kinds of people. Enough to freely accept them and to stop and be a good Samaritan to them. Well, then he goes on and says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God that person with a winning edge loves people and secondly shares the gospel now the gospel let's think about that a moment the gospel concerns Jesus Christ the son of God who existed before he was born I'm sure you've had some investigative Bible studies and some people learn for the first time that Jesus actually existed before he was born. That's a great revelation to a lot of people. But who existed before he was born, he came on this earth, he lived a perfect life, and he had certain reasons for living here. Showed us what God was like, how life ought to be lived. But above all, he died on the cross for our sins. And he was buried to prove that he died. Then he rose again from the dead and he appeared to many to prove that he had risen. Then he ascended to heaven. And according to Acts 2, he sent the Holy Spirit as proof that he arrived there. And now from the right hand of the Father, he offers forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. To anybody on the condition of repentance and faith. It change your life. He'll write our names in heaven. And whether our death is slow or rapid, to be absent from the body it would be to be present with Him. That's good news. And not only that, He's coming back to this earth someday. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Well, that's the gospel. Does that message still thrill you? You know, it seems to me if it doesn't, either there are several things wrong, either we're backslidden, or we haven't been sharing it lately, or we haven't experienced it ourselves. That's a fabulous message to deliver. I had a great time last fall on the way to India. I stopped and saw Lee Yi, and we had a nice evening in Sido. here. We had an evening dinner together in Hong Kong. I went on to India, and there in our staff is a fellow by the name of Rupin Das. Rupin is a, has his uh, doctorate in psychology, child psychology. He's on our staff. He was telling me about his great-great-great-grandfather. I'll just call him his grandfather. I won't go great, great, great every time. His his grandfather lived in the village where one of William Carey's, the, the, the pioneer of modern missions, one of his associates came and established a little mission station. And Rupin's grandfather became a Christian. And he said to the missionary, I'd like to be baptized missionary said fine will you come on in the compound we'll set the time and we'll do it he said no I want to be baptized in public in the river well that's too dangerous you can get killed over that he said no that's what I want so they went out to the river the townspeople gathered with menace in their eyes with the vow to kill him the missionary baptized him, and Reuben's grandfather said, the missionary, you, you go on, make your way back. I want to go, I want to talk to these people. So he walked up on the bank, he said to him, now before you do me harm, I just want to ask you one question. He said, I have been a Hindu all my life. I have done all that our Hindu religion has required of me." But tell me, out of all the Hindu gods, name one who loved me enough to die for my sins and who was raised again from the dead. Just name one. And if you can, I'll recant what I have just done. The conversation went on for an hour, an hour and a half, or two. Little by little, the crowd dispersed and left. It reminds me of the time that when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, would you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life and we are sure and believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Gentlemen, there is no other answer. That's our only hope. There is none. And to have a heart for men is to seek ways to share that message of that person. That they might come into a personal relationship with Him and know what it is to have their, to lay their head on the pillow at night with a clear conscience. To find ways to resolve the conflicts at home and at business. To find purpose in their life that's the gospel and we're to share it we're to share it now I'm not saying it's easy I found out by experience it's easier to write books on it than it is to do it years ago I gave a series uh, on back to the Bible on witnessing Christian life the art of witnessing well I, they asked if they could put it in a book I thought sure go ahead And you mean who's going to read it well it the thing got Moody Press took it up and got sort of a wide distribution there for a while. Some years ago, I was on my way out to Asia, and I stopped in Honolulu overnight, went into a bookstore, and right there, as I walked in on the rack, among the books was The Art of Personal Witnessing by Lauren Sani. Well, just looking at it so convicted me that I decided I'd go out and witness to somebody. Well, now, I'd worked with sailors before. I directed a servicemen's center in Long Beach, and I knew... So I thought, I'll witness to some sailor. So I went downtown Honolulu, stood on the street, and I was going to wait for a sailor to come by. Well, I knew enough, never stop a man in his tracks. They don't like that. If you want to talk to him, just follow in step. Well, I waited, and here came a guy down, one sailor all by himself. And the closer he got, the tougher he looked. So I let him go on by. <laughs> And I thought, I'll wait for one that looks more likely, and nobody else came along, and apparently this fellow had circled the block because here he came again. (laughs) So I fell in step with him, and I said, excuse me, I'm just here overnight, and I'm just looking for somebody to talk to. Can I talk to you? Now, that's not the smoothest approach in the world. It's amazing how my workshops... On personal witnessing, just escape me when it comes to real life. <laughs> and besides, I found out the smooth approaches don't usually work anyway. So he said, Well, he kind of shrugged his shoulders, okay. And I walked along with him and I told him what I was doing. And here I found a guy whose wife had had a baby back in Virginia and they hadn't given him leave yet to go back and he was kind of lonesome. We went up later. To the servicemen's center, and an hour later, we knelt down together in, our, in the prayer room. Now I want to tell you that doesn't always work like that. A couple years ago, I got on a plane in, in the Philippines, and I was just you know keen on witnessing to somebody. I was in the hotel, I went down to the workout room and I found out that the guy was a Christian, so that I didn't have any chance to witness there. That kind of spoiled that. I went out to the Pan Am Clipper Club and there was a lady taking care of so I thought, here's my opportunity and she turns out to be a Christian. And this was the day I wanted to witness to some non-Christian somebody somewhere. And we had a nice talk and I, in fact I left my chain, told her to put in the church offering next Sunday. And, but I was still the one to witness to somebody who was not a Christian. So I got on the airplane, sat down next to a guy, Filipino from New York. So I asked him what he's been doing. He said, I've been visiting my relatives. Boy, a strange things happening. He said, uh, what's that? I said, what's that? He said, well, they're all talking about being born again.
2: I thought, aha, here we go.
1: So I said something lame like, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's your turn or something. He said, not me. And he took his blanket, threw it up over his head, and he stayed that way all the way from Manila to Tokyo. <laughs> So you know, they don't always. It doesn't always work. Yeah, we we tell the success success stories, but not the failures. Well, I got a lot more failures than I have success ones. But you know, the kind of witnessing, the kind of sharing the gospel that most of us get involved in, are not the short-term, limited-time opportunities. That's okay, and we should. I think. If we want to let god use us to be a link in the chain and hopefully leave that person in in better uh attitude to listen to the next person that god brings along but i think of shorty shorty is my wife's friend and she's just that lucy used to babysit shorty's kids and shorty was about that tall about that wide not a christian Lucy, my wife, loved her. For years, whenever we drive out to California, one reason, the only two of us, I got a station wagon from Will, is to accommodate my wife's uh, addiction, which is buying things for people and giving it to them. So we, we take out card tables, we take out chairs, we take out irons, we take out sewing machines for the daughters, things she picked up at Roth Auction, always doing this. And then Lucy would try to witness to her. And whenever she started, Shorty'd say, Oh, no, don't talk religion to me. Don't talk it to me. The years went by. I remember one day, maybe five years ago, we went over to Shorty's house and she to visit her. But she went home. Her husband was there. He said, I'm not sure she wants to see you. Well, we decided we were going to wait. You know, if it took all night, we were going to wait. Well, she'd been sitting down the bar all day, and she came home. She drank so much beer, and never found a bathroom that she was just soaking wet, front and back, from waist to shoes. Lucy hugged that. Hugged Shorty. I did, too. I wasn't that eager about it, but I did. (laughs) That went on. Finally, we heard that Shorty had a stroke. So I went out to visit my parents, and Lucy wasn't along this time, and Lucy said, I think this is the time. So I had instructions to go see Shorty. So I went to see her, and I said, uh, Shorty, I said, I've, Lucy loves you and I love you. And this has been 33 years now. And I said, I've got to ask you a question. If you died tonight, do you know for sure where you'd go? She said, no, I don't. I said, you can know. Would you like to? And this is where she usually would have said, oh, don't talk religion to me. She said, yes, I would. And I took her through Revelation 3.20, and as clear as anybody I have ever helped, the light shone in her heart that night. Thirty-three years. Don't give up. Now we're talking about a heart for men. Sometimes you're on the last lake in the chain, you get to reap other times most think more times than not you're an earlier link in the chain and others reap and sometimes you have the opportunity but you have to hang in there love them love them love them love them share love them share until finally that's the plus factor that's the winning edge that's something extra a heart for people and a heart for men enough to love people enough to share that gospel with them, and to hang in there until the right time comes and then finally he says we were willing we loved you so much that we were willing not only to share with you the gospel but our lives as well now that's even more time consuming our lives as well Share your life. That's follow up. That's where discipling begins. Dr. Alexander, surgeon in Modesto, California, which is where I met my wife and our relatives who live around there, known him for years. 300 physicians in Modesto. He prays for those physicians regularly. Then he has a little system. He'll pray for one of them. 30 days for a month every day and he'll invite him to lunch and then he'll go as far at lunch he'll give him his testimony and as far as that person seems open to go you know how you can tell you go so far and they change the subject you wouldn't press it but just see how far then with those who respond he has something he's done for years and I know that this morning or tomorrow morning if you went to modesto california at 6 30 in the morning i'll tell you where to find dr alexander he'll be at lion's restaurant on mchenry avenue sitting in a booth with one two three other men with him and the bible open among them and these will have been men that he they've responded to him here and there over the years that's when he's found best to invest his life in others. That's what it means to have a heart for man. To carve out that time, Monday through Friday. And I've done this. I've, dri- I've driven over there without an There he is. And sometimes I may to sit with him and other times, no. Depends on how crowded it was. But you can, that's investing your life our lives as well. When well, I had my first assignment with the Navigators, I got kicked out of the nest I was about 23. And Doss Trotman sent me up to Seattle, Washington during World War II to start a ministry of a serviceman. Well, I'll have to admit, I did not know beans when the bag was open, how to read servicemen. Navigators today are just so much better trained than we were. Well, there was one guy that came to my Bible study, a second lieutenant in the Army, Friday nights. Week after week, one guy. Doss Trotman called me up. He was the founder of the Navigators, the president in those days. He said, how's it going, Zanny?" I said, terrible. He said, what's the matter? I said, I, I've got this Bible class for servicemen, and only one guy shows up. I never forget what he said. He said, well invest your life in him see that's what it says here we were willing to share not only the gospel but our lives as well so i began to do that you know this fellow soon he was meeting the lord for a quiet time at six then 5 30 then five in the morning and now this is rather outlandish i don't say that this is a standard but i soon found he was reviewing 100, 200 verses a day and the guy was growing later when he got out of the service i invited him to come and live with me and help me in the ministry so he did he married the girl who was helping my wife i left the area he took it over later when i went with the graham team i needed some help he came to assist me when i left the team he took over in fact a couple years later i went back just to help in the new york crusade and he was my boss and well, a lot of you heard of him, Charlie Riggs, who for 30 years has been in charge of all the counseling and the follow-up for the Billy Graham Crusades, was that one-man Bible class that I was so disappointed in. I don't know what you say, well, I've only got one opportunity. That's all you need. Why well, have two till you use the one? And when you're ready for the second, God will give it to you, won't he? So I'm talking about, I only have a heart for people in general, but I needed to have a heart for Charlie Riggs in particular. I never dreamed. He still calls me Pappy. But there is a spiritual son that long since outgrew his Pappy. At seven years of age, I was just up at the Denver Crusade, he's as excited about what he's doing as he was when he started 30 years ago. A Caleb if I've ever seen one. Well, workers, pray for workers. Those who will love people, love them enough to share the gospel, have a heart enough for them to share their lives and thereby multiply their lives in somebody else. And God takes that little bit. This is what's amazing. He takes a little bit like the five loaves and two fishes and he multiplies that little contribution, that little effort far beyond your dreams. Because you're not in it alone. And I want to tell you this morning as a personal testimony Here's a little guy, chubby guy, off the farm in Iowa. Always chosen last on the teams, because I I could run fast, but always in one place. (laughs) Never had much of a leadership, but I, I learned something, that God, that little is much when God is in it. And God will take little efforts like a Charlie Riggs and others that I could mention, and he will multiply them far beyond your fondest expectation. And it doesn't take a lot of time. Let me just close with this. I, I'm loaded with some illustrations here it. Let me just point out something. in the Great Commission, Jesus said Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations disciple people right that includes us we're to do that and he said teaching them those people to go out there to observe everything i have taught you so jesus said i want you as jesus teach have you teach other people what i've taught you since i, I left the the uh, presidency and the navigators, the guys asked me to take uh, the responsibility with the business and professional man, the navigators. So I'm building a little staff, and one of my new team is Noel Nelson down in at Atlanta. And Noel told me how a businessman came to him, and who was rather prominent in the city, been, I wouldn't, well, I better be careful because say used, as happens sometimes, by Christians. But anyway, he said, would you help me in my spiritual life and growth and accountability? And Noel said, yes, I will, on one condition. That when I'm helping you, I can look around and see that you, in turn, are helping somebody else. I thought, that's what Jesus said. I have taught you, I want to look around and see you are teaching somebody else. And that's what Jesus prayed for in John... He not only commanded it in Matthew 28, he also prayed for it in John 17, 20. He said, neither pray I for these alone, but for those who shall believe on me through their word. It occurred to me a few years ago with with our six kids, um, not only to pray that they'll know the Lord and grow in him but also to pray that each of them in their time will have an outreach and half to two thirds of them do no, not any pressure don't preach to them about it but pray that they will because that's what Jesus wants and I believe that's what Jesus wants of every one of us neither pray I for you alone but for those around there that are going to believe on me your work that's that's being a laborer in the harvest that's being a worker worker that's being a discipler and that's what you're going to hear about the rest of today from seda wing hong and from lee on, on the nuts and bolts on how to do it i wish i could be here i uh that this was rather sudden i uh i do have some other appointments i've got to keep Um, I'll admit when I heard about this day I thought hey maybe I could come but I didn't get invited and uh, (laughs) uh, so I schedule other things but here I am so let's pause for a word of prayer shall we Lord in this quiet moment you have said draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you we draw nigh right now to ask you to take away the hardness and callousness that so easily comes into our hearts to soften them To give us a heart of love for the unlovely, even the repulsive, the annoying, the aggravating, the embarrassing. To freely accept them as they are, but then to seek their good by prayer, good deeds, and as opportunity comes to share the good news this great good news and to be willing to share our lives as well plan in our hearts today a heart for men for people that we come across just in the daily the natural daily lives that each of us move through And that we'll be more like the good Samaritan who will have a heart of a compassion sufficient to cause us to stop and take time to help the helpless and the harassed. In Jesus' name, amen.